Hello, welcome everybody. As you see, we are back in our studio SF Live here, episode 213. In a few short seconds, I'll be joined by Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics. Really excited to catch up with him. We had to postpone this interview a couple times because I was traveling, had terrible internet connection at some places. So uh, really excited to be catching up with him today and uh, we'll be switching over to him in just a few short seconds. As you know, be reminded to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button as well leave a comment as well what do you think where is gold headed what do you think of the junior mining stocks or mining stocks in general do you use them as a hedge leave a comment leave a like that just helps us in the search rankings as well and uh, more people will be able to view our content now enough of myself uh i said enough let me switch over to my guest and uh, i'm really excited to welcome dave kranzler dave it is great to see you thanks for thanks for coming on the show hi it's good to see you yeah, fantastic. It's been long, way too long, or we haven't really caught up. Like, not way too long. Like, as I said in the intro, I had to reschedule a couple of times. It was on. It was oh on yeah, me. that was no big so, deal. <laughs> appreciate that. Before we dive in, we we have lots to discuss because we want to start with the macro. Talk about gold, tapering, inflation, Fed, U.S. dollar. We're going to touch on all that. Uh, but before we do that, it's your first time on SF Live. Why don't you quickly introduce yourself, and then we'll get started on that. Well, my name is Dave Kranzler, and um, I, I write and publish two subscription newsletters. One's the Mining Stock Journal, and the other's the Short Sellers Journal. They're both kind of self-explanatory uh, what they are. Although the Mining Stock Journal, I, I tend to focus more on junior stocks. I do have a, a mid-cap, large-cap section that I include, um, and I recommend ideas in that, in that space when I think I see some good value, which I have recently. And I also manage a small investment fund. So um, with, with both newsletters, all ideas are my own. Um, with the Mining Stock Journal, I do not take any kind of compensation from the companies that I follow and recommend. And I invest in every, you know, most of the ideas myself. Fantastic. And I think the domain is investment research dynamics. We'll repeat oh, it at the end. Yes. But Right, so that's where they can find more content. Fantastic, Dave. Appreciate the introduction, but but let's dive in. And I had that conversation last week in Beaver Creek with a couple uh, investors as well. Ronnie Stöfler was one. We just published an interview this morning with him as well. The in gold we trust, right? And we we've been trying. We've been scratching our heads together. Like, what is happening to the gold price right now? It seems like fiscal policy is just getting worse and worse and worse. New infrastructure packages, three point five billion dollars spending bills, but gold is not moving. Can, can you give us a broader picture? Like what is happening in the gold market right now and why aren't we moving? Well, I mean, <clears throat> we, it's, it's kind of, um, it kind of depends on your time frame, I guess, right? Because, sorry about my voice. I was at a, a big college football game on Saturday. I'm a little <laughs> bit worse than that. But uh, uh, gold was at, you know, in, in March 2020, gold hit 1,300. And it ran very quickly all the way up to 2100 or close to 2100. So, uh, you know, you're looking at that, that's a better than 50% rate of return. It, it made that move in <clears throat> I'm sorry, I take that back. I'm look, well, I'm looking at um, the continuous contract. We're at, uh, we're at 1300 in, um, March of 2019. So you've had an over 50% move between March of 2019 and uh, August 
2020. So a little more than a year, it returned over 50%. I mean, it, it um, far outperformed any other sector of the stock market. And it's, it's been in a downtrend since early to mid-August 2020. And I mean, one way you could look at that is just to say that it's, it's, a, it's a corrective move that's taking longer than people who wanted to take, especially a lot of people piled into this sector after March 2020. And you know, back then, gold hit 1450. So um, they seem to be the ones who are getting, especially from just looking at my subscriber inflows and outflows, they seem to be the ones who are getting the most impatient. And you know, unfortunately, they had the misfortune of jumping into the sector toward the end of you know, the big move that happened in 2020. And now they're, you know, they're, we're, well, we're all caught in this, this, this corrective process. Of course, you know, you can't leave out a conversation on um, what's going on in, in the gold market without talking about the various forms of official intervention in order to keep the price capped. And, uh, and that's, that's been, especially since March this year, I've noticed that it's, it's been about as aggressive as I've ever seen it, except for maybe between late 2011 and, and 2014. Um, because, you know, these guys, the guys running fiscal and monetary policy, uh, if they, you know, if they stood aside and let the price of gold do what, it, you know, find real price discovery, we'd be considerably higher the gold price would be considerably higher and it would invalidate the policies that they're trying to shove down our throats. So, um, can, can I in jump in there real, real quick, Dave? I think that's, that's a couple okay. of interesting points, but uh, I want to follow up on it before I forget it. Like th that, that intervention, right. And, and like, I, I see it every morning or at least I think it is intervention every morning when the market opens, we see a massive drop in gold price. Is that what you're referring to or like what kind of mechanisms or kind of, possibilities do the let's call them the higher powers have to interfere there well there there's essentially you've got a a, a two-tier gold market you've got the real physical gold market and that's that's primarily centered in the eastern hemisphere and and in shanghai and and those those countries over there are they buy physical gold and it you know they import it into their various countries it's, some of the central banks that are buying gold over there may leave them in London vaults. I wouldn't do that if I were them. But um, so, and that, so that's what I would call a physical gold market. It's big buyers who are buying 400 ounce LBMA bars or you know, having, buying those bars and having them sent to refineries and refined down into kilo bars and, and then shipped to the respective countries. I mean, that's, that's the real physical gold market. The, the West has, I mean, the COMEX is not a physical gold market. It's a paper derivative market. And, you know, the open interest in COMEX futures is many multiples of the amount of physical gold sitting in COMEX vaults that are available and designated as available for delivery. So, and, and same thing over in London. I mean, it's, there's been, especially since the Basel III discussion heated up several months ago, I mean, there's, there's been a whole... Uh, lively conversation about you know how they use the unallocated gold mechanism over there, where they basically you know for buyers who leave their their bars into those vaults, 
they're 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 allocated unallocated gold bars, which means they don't actually have legal title to those bars. So, and yet they consider that to be part of their gold holdings. So, and that that's how that's how they 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 create supply using derivatives and the unallocated mechanism that exceeds the actual demand for that gold to, you know, the, the demand to remove it out of those vaults and have it delivered. And, and so um, from time to time, sometimes it, you know, it lasts longer than we want it to. From time to time, um, they can use those mechanisms to, to keep a lid on the price of gold. And then it usually seems to happen after you've had a big run-up when, when um, the sector is technically overbought, et cetera. Um, the hedge funds have, have piled into a massive net long position in, in gold and silver futures. And as soon as, you know, as soon as it starts selling off, it, it triggers um, the liquidation of that. So, and, and you can kind of, to the extent that the commitment of trader reports are, are reliable, you can kind of track you know the flows between the, the the short interest position of the banks and the and the long and the and the net long position of, of the hedge funds. So um, it's just this is we've seen several cycles like this since I've been involved in the sector, starting in two thousand one. And uh, I mean, it always feels it always feels the worst toward the end of a of a cycle like this, a bearish a bearish cycle like this. Um, not that we're in a you know a bear cycle for the metal. Like I said, I think it's 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 nothing more than um, at, you know outside of the official intervention to keep keep a lid on the price. It's it's nothing more than um, a technical correction that um, is is cooling down what became a very hot market in the summer of 2020. So, and you alluded, you know, just in, in terms of what I'm talking about, in terms of the, the intervention in the sector, you alluded to it. I mean, how many days, especially when there's an economic report released at 8.30 New York time that should be friendly to the price of gold, you know, on how many days all of a sudden do you see what looks like a cliff dive in the gold price, you know, at 8.30 New York time? And, and that's, you know, that's part of the manipulative process. The banks will unload a bunch of paper into, into, onto the COMEX and into the Globex computer trading system. And then that triggers stop losses at the hedge funds. And you get, and you see, you know, you see those fishing line formations on the chart. Um, what's encouraging to me is we've seen several of them. Like I said, it's, we've seen it a lot since March of this year. But what's encouraging to me is over the last, I don't know, probably four to eight weeks, uh, we're seeing a pretty quick recovery from that process. And, you know, the extreme version of it was, um, what, about six weeks ago, when on Sunday evening, the Globex computer system opens up and they take gold down over $100 very quickly. I mean, it, it traded below $1,700 uh, briefly, but it, it managed to bounce back pretty quickly from that. So to me, I think we're we're in the process of bottoming out from the correction that started in August, 2020. And if you look at the charts, I mean, you can kind of see them, you know, they, they're kind of forming a, a, a shallow kind of cup formation or a saucer formation. So um, I'm looking at a gold chart right now and it's, it's been hitting for the most part, uh, higher lows since, uh, 
well, really since March. <laughs> um, now, since you're bringing that up, I think we're just at that uh, that breakout level. That's the if you, if you put a trend line under, underneath there, I think it's a two month or three month trend line that is holding quite steadily around seventeen ninety five right now. Is that correct? Yes, that that's correct. And um, uh, the only caveat on that is if we have a stock market accident, and I think the risk of that grows, you know, with each successive day. If we have a stock market accident, you're going to get another, you know, big sell-off, and you get a big sell-off in this sector because it's going to take everything down with it initially. Um, you know, as an example, March 2020, you know, late February, March 2020 is a good example. I mean, um, the precious metal sector got hammered, uh, but it also started to recover more quickly than the stock market did. And I guarantee you, the money that the Fed printed to prop up the stock market was not, they were not putting any of that money into the precious metal sector or into the mining stocks. And yet the mining stocks over the next, say between um, mid-March 2020 through August 2020 far outperformed every other sector of the stock market, even tech stocks. So, and so if we do get, have a stock market accident and I've been advising my subscribers to um, hold on to um, whatever cash they have and, and, or maybe even raise a little more cash because if we do get, uh, you know, another occurrence like that, you're going to want to buy the sell-off. You want to have money to buy the sell-off. You know, I mean, it's worst case and it, it sucks if you don't have money to double down, but, you know, you can just ride it out and be confident that, you're, you know, you're going to make money anyway. Yeah, let's talk about some of the macro influences pulling on the gold price. Before we went live, we briefly talked about potential tapering in November. Um, how how that can that be a factor on the gold price? How is that affecting markets, and how can we benefit from it? You know, I, up until recently, I've I've been pretty convinced that the Fed's not going to taper; that it's it's just jawboning in order to help support the dollar and also help try and keep a lid on the price of gold. Um, I mean, if you remember, Alan Greenspan was really he was he was the guy who kind of invented federal you know, FOMC chairman job owning, you know, and he could move markets just by, you know, statements that he made, he can move them up or down. So uh, I, I think that's what we're seeing, or I, <clears throat> originally I thought that might be what we're seeing. Uh, I, and my, my thesis was that we're going to, I mean, first of all, you're going to have a two and a half trillion dollar spending deficit by the end of this month for the full fiscal year, the government fiscal year ends at the end of this month. And the, the Fed is going to, not the Fed, the Treasury is going to have to issue a lot more paper to finance that, to finance some of the some of these uh, spending programs that are being tossed about Congress right now. And uh, since March 2020, the Fed has bought 57% of all new Treasury issuance. And they've done that in order to help keep a lid on the, on the bond yields at the long end. So um, if they were to taper and reduce the amount that they were printing, it would seem to me they would be risking having the long end of the yield curve move up considerably, which, which would be, I mean, it would hurt the stock market and it would also hurt, it would make government finances even worse because it'd be more expensive for them to, to, to fund their spending deficits. However, if, uh, you know, the, the reverse repo uh, situation has obviously had a lot of a lot of conversation over the last six months, and the Fed has basically been been now it's it's basically over a trillion dollars every day. The Fed is because 
because the banks need collateral. There's a shortage of, of collateral out there for banks to use for their business operations. So the, the Fed's been doing these reverse repos that pulls, sucks a lot of this excess liquidity that it's put into the financial system, out of the financial system, and it gives the banks collateral that they can use. So now I'm wondering if, if they'll be able to start tapering, but also um, be able to use that, that money that, that, that's been pulled out of the banking system. If they, if they reduce the amount of that, perhaps you know, we'll see banks and money market funds, well, not money market funds, but other, other um, entities that are part of the, the repo and reverse repo process uh, possibly use that cash instead of pulling it away from the banks, leave it with the banks, and they'll fund the, the, the new treasury issuance. I don't know. I mean, no one knows for sure. And we will know when we know, right? I mean, Goldman's out saying there's a 70% chance that they're going to taper in November. Well, I don't know how Goldman would know that, you know, for, you know, because we still have not seen definitive numbers put on the trigger events that would cause the Fed to taper. They say, they say they need to see signs of a more robust economy. Well, I don't even know what that means anymore. Uh, good, good point, actually. And then since you were US based, I was wondering, like the unemployment benefits end now in September. I don't know. I haven't seen. I'm not. Wasn't sure if it was the end of September or early September, but I know they're oh, ending. It was last weekend. It was last weekend. Okay, so so the next set of unemployment numbers should be quite interesting. Like, what what do you expect from them, and what do you expect to happen? Well, are those part of the indications that we, that the Goldman might be looking for, and is that something they might factor in into their like seventy percent? You mean you're thinking that some of these people that are that have been living on uh, the supplemental federal unemployment benefits are going to go out and start flipping burgers at Burger King? Something like that. I yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, it's an interesting question. We, we probably won't see that in the jobless claims number. This week, maybe we will. I don't know. Um, it's a good question because, well, first of all, the unemployment report is is so highly manipulated anyway that you know it's it's like everything else the government puts out. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake. So, um, I don't know. I mean, where we might see it show up though is is the private economic activity reports and, and corporate reports. I mean, certainly uh, I, I am expecting, well, we, we're already seeing a slowdown, a big slowdown in economic activity. I look at the data every week and because I talk about it in my short sellers newsletter. And, um, you know, obviously the house, the housing industry is starting to slow down. There's been several months in a row of of declining new and existing home sales. Um, the automobile industry is slowing down. Part of that is exogenous because of the, the chip shortages, but I would also argue that part of that is also because the average household is, is running out of disposable income. And I am seeing that in the numbers that I look at. And the price of, of cars, new and used, is, has, has gone up to the point where a lot of a lot of households that may need to replace their vehicles right now can't afford to do it. So, um, and housing and, and the auto industry are two primary pillars of, of the U.S. economy. People may think it's technology, but it's not. Technology is is. I mean, I don't know what percentage of GDP it is now, but um, I know at one point within the last ten to twenty years, it was only ten percent of the GDP. It may be a little bit more now, but. Um, 
you know, it's, it's basic industry that, that really contributes to, um, to household income and, and um, wealth output. It's something I'd noticed when I was first trip in a while uh, in, in May down to Utah, actually, and visiting a friend, I've noticed there were a lot of older cars on the road. Like it felt like on average, the cars were way older. When was the cash for clunker program? Is that about 10 years ago? Oh, that years was, ago? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, 2008, 2009. Okay, yeah, that, that's exactly the average age of cars I saw on the road out there. Right. So are we, are we due for another cash for clunker program? Is that part of the infrastructure? I don't know spending? if the government could afford it. I mean, they're, they're trying to put in a huge spending bill right now and they're having trouble, you know, uh, getting it passed, at least at this point. I, I don't know that that the um, I don't think this country could afford another cash for clunker program. Yeah. Now let's talk a bit about uh, like how you're positioning yourself. You write the mining stock journal as well, the short sellers report. How are you playing the current environment? Like, are you buying mining stocks, and what are you short selling? I actually have only selectively bought a few different mining stock names over the last couple months. You know, if something if something gets sold off, and I and I don't agree with the reason why it was sold off. Um, pure gold mining last week is a good example of that. So, um, and I, I put some more money to work in pure gold mining. There's a, there's a couple other names um, that are in that same category. Viva Gold's another one. It's actually, Viva's actually moved up about 20% from where I put more cash to work in that name. Um, I, I think <clears throat> on the assumption that my thesis is correct, that we're coming out of this correction process, probably going to um, reallocate cash that I have on hand, uh, probably evenly between um, mid-cap type producers like Fortuna Silver, which is was very irrationally beat up after it announced that merger with Rocks Gold. Um, Fortuna is actually up really nicely today. One of few, I guess, right? Because there's not too much happening in the market. Like my watch list is majorly, like majorly red right now. So yeah, I got the same thing on my, you know, my junior portfolio <laughs> is red today. But um, I do have a big position in in uh, longer dated in the money, deep in the money, Fortuna calls, and Fortuna's up almost nine percent today, and it's it's up. Jeez, uh, must have been a good since, presentation since at the Denver Gold out. Forum today. Since, since it bottomed out, it's it's up. Uh, I got. I can't do this math in my head. It's Monday morning. I'm tired. <laughs> I might as well have up twelve and a half percent since it recently bottomed out, close to four. So, um, and these this is U.S. dollars. I'm quoting the price yeah. in. So, um, as as I said, it must have been for, a good for presentation the Canadian, for the Canadian viewers. It's fbi dot to. So, yeah. it'd be a little bit higher price. <laughs> It looks better on paper. Yeah. So, and I mean, at some point I'm, I'm going to, you know, shift, shift most of my capital invested to the sector back into the juniors. Uh, but I do think that, and we're, and we're seeing it as a good example today on a, on a day when the sector's bouncing right now, you're seeing some of the larger cap producers are, are positive to very positive. I mean, even even New Gold, which um, revised lower its its full year production forecast, they've got a glitch going on at their Rainy River mine, and um, that'll that'll also that too shall pass. 
Um, and when I first saw the news, it was before the market opened. I'm like, oh, no, new gold. And I have a big call option position on it in my personal account. I'm like, oh, no, new gold's going to get hammered again today. <laughs> I'm going to have to I'm going to have to hold my nose and buy more. But it, it's actually up. It was up um, over four percent at one point. Now it's up uh, about three percent. So, um, you know, to me, when you're this is kind of another signal to me that we, we could be coming out of the correction. You're seeing. I want to see the large cap and mid cap producing producing stocks lead the way because it tells me that all that speculative money that ran into the sector in in mid to late 2020 that that's that's out now and and the, and the smarter money and the institutional money is starting to go back into the producing miners and then at some point we'll get you know if if indeed um, we're starting the next up leg you know at some point three to six months down the road. We're going to have a, a huge move in in the juniors. So at some point, I'll I'll start shifting some of the the um, money that I've been putting to work in the in the um, mid cap and producing stocks. I'll shift that back into juniors. But make no mistake, I mean I'm still you know mostly heavily weighted in junior names and junior junior you know exploration names. I call them the, my, you know, some people call them micro caps. I call them junior venture capital co mining companies. Perfect. Yeah, no, exactly. My portfolio looks very similar. I've got a late, couple later stage developers, but maybe as a last question, how scared of you of tax loss selling, which is bound to happen in the next six weeks here or bound to start <sighs> in the next six weeks? You know, I, I don't, I don't worry about things like that. If if I see if if I see a name, that's why I always recommend you know leaving cash so that you can buy names that you like. If for some reason they sell off, that's not related to the a change in the fundamentals for that company or for the sector. And tax loss selling is a good example. I, you know, there's no telling what names it's going to hit, and what names it isn't. I mean, we we may have seen we you know we may have seen this summer most of the selling that we might've otherwise seen during tax loss season, because some of these names, I mean, there's, there's some juniors that I, I mentioned Viva Gold. Um, you know, some of these names, you know, fell briefly below 10, 10 cents. And, um, you know, that was probably people who might've sold during tax loss selling season. They might've sold this summer just to get out of it. I mean, that usually tends to be the, I mean, it's the majority, or the, the highest percentage sector of investor that invests in these juniors is retail. And that tends to be the behavior of, of a typical retail investor. They, they sell when you should be buying and they buy when you, when you should be taking profits. Yeah. Look, just look at the Tesla stock hockey sticks. Perfect. Because they keep chasing it or kept chasing it at the time. Right. So, right. So if you want an example for that, fantastic. Dave, this was usually informative. I really, really appreciate your time this morning and uh, apologies again for having to reschedule a couple of times. Really yeah, enjoyed no our conversation. Thanks for coming on. And it's at Infrez Dynamics on Twitter and investmentresearchdynamics.com to, to get more from Dave. Or they can just search on Dave Kranzler on Twitter and get my Twitter feed. And um, hey, I'd be happy to come on again. Love to. Love to have you back. Uh, maybe later during tax loss season. Let's see how bad it is because the summer doldrums took the lifeblood out of me. That's for sure. So I hope the tax loss season doesn't do the same because I might not come back in January. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so... Uh,
Ah, fantastic. Dave, it was great. Really appreciate it. And uh, let me just do the quick outro and uh, let everybody thank you for joining us. This was SF Live episode 213. We were joined by the fantastic Dave Krenzler of Investment Research Dynamics. And to make sure to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button as well. We try our best to do all our interviews live, pending internet connection, and of course, travels. And uh, make sure to leave a comment and like. Well, and uh, we'll be back again very, very soon with more live content for you. Thanks so much for joining us.